This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 198. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about cocktails and bartending and spirits. Well, if you listened to last week's show, you know I'm just back from San Antonio Cocktail Conference. It was a great trip, and I got a chance to talk to a lot of cool people. Today, we're going to talk to Jake Horney and Derek Cortez from a place called Jazz, Texas in San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for a good, let's see, 39 minutes, uh, but... 16, 17 years. And we'll talk to Tom Richter from Deer Irving in New York City, who worked alongside Megan Dorman at the Deer Irving pop-up during San Antonio Cocktail Conference. I recorded a uh, nice conversation with Megan Dorman, and uh, I'll have that for you in an upcoming show. And uh, it was a great talk, and I hope you're subscribed so you'll get the new shows as soon as they become available. If you have any questions on how to do that, you can go to bartenderjourney.net slash subscribe. So before we get to the interviews, let's talk about a book of the week. It's Brad Thomas Parsons' book, Amaro, The Spirited World of Bittersweet Herbal Liqueurs with Cocktails. Uh, With cocktail recipes, that is. Uh, Amaro is just a fascinating category. We don't talk about it enough on this show. Uh, But first of all, what is it? According to Brad's book, it's, quote, the collective class of Italian-made aromatic herbal bittersweet liqueurs traditionally served as a digestif after a meal, end quote. I sum it up like this to my guess. It's a bittersweet, herbaceous liqueur. By the way, the plural of Amaro is Amari. Amari, uh, it's an acquired taste for sure, but once you go down that rabbit hole, you open up into a whole world of new and interesting and unusual flavors. Aperol is a good entry into the Amaro category. For anybody who's unfamiliar, the flavors are a little more approachable and less bitter than many other Amari. Our cocktail of the week is the Aperol Spritz. It's a very popular drink right now. It's low ABV and very tasty. It's also quite festive looking. If you build it in a big old wine glass like I do at my bar, uh, and then it gets an orange garnish, so it's a nice looking drink. Uh, the recipe is easy to remember. It's three, two, one. Three ounces Prosecco or other sparkling wine. Two ounces Aperol, one ounce sparkling water. So like I said, I do it in a big wine glass uh, with ice, and you could do it on a double, you could do it in a double old-fashioned glass if you want, or, or uh, even a highball if you if your wine glasses aren't big enough. Um, but yeah, do that. Build it right in the glass. Garnish it with an orange slice. Here's a new segment for the show. I don't know if we'll do it every week, but uh, I'm calling it Cocktail of Knowledge. Silly name? Maybe. If you got a better one, let me know. You know, I attend a lot of events, and uh, I have notebooks filled with scribbles that I wrote down during seminars. So I thought I'd uh, share some of this stuff with you once in a while. And uh, therefore, the new segment, Cocktail of Knowledge. I was recently, actually, it was just when I got back from San Antonio. Uh, I got off the plane. I had like 40 minutes to kill, and I went into a bar that uh, I'm familiar with. It's a well-respected bar in Manhattan. It's a great place, but uh, I went in, had a few minutes to kill, and um, it was sort of uh, early, hmm, what time was it, 4 o'clock or so. So the bar, the bar wasn't very busy at all. And the two nice young ladies behind the bar were uh, doing a little cocktail development behind the bar there. And uh, honestly, they were a little too focused on their uh, experimentation and uh, didn't, didn't pay a lot of attention to me, you know. And I've, also, I've always said that, you know, especially if somebody walks into a bar by themselves, uh, the bartender needs to spend just a little extra attention. But during the bar methods course that I took uh, recently, one of the segments was called The Performance hospitality and guest interactions and that was 
Ted Kilpatrick, which uh, taught that class. He's the beverage manager at the Park South Hotel, and uh, he talked a lot about this. The uh, the greet is the most important interaction the bartender has with the guest. You know, the, he says the the greeting uh, should really err on the side of formal. You know, he said you, uh, you you can't get more formal from a greeting. You can get less formal after your greeting, but uh, it should be conversational and fact finding. So you want to find out, you know, what's the deal with this person? Like, uh, are they are they hungry? Are they uh, do, well? Do you want to hand them the menu real quick? Uh, most places today, you know, they uh, they'll hand you their cocktail menu very quickly and get you a glass of water. But in some cases, that person might just be interested. In, maybe they were thinking about having a dirty martini since uh, you know since yesterday or whatever. You know, so they they already have in mind what they want. So. He talked about making sure you give them the opportunity to order something right away if that's what they want. If they don't want to spend time looking through your menu, they want to. Uh, they they already know what they want, so I, I think that's important. He talked about you know just making conversation, but at the same time uh, make make it a little fact finding tour. You know, is that person expecting others to join them, or uh, did they come in for dinner? Uh, just having a drink at the bar, waiting for a friend, and then going to sit down for dinner, uh, or you know all these different things that can help the bartender make sure the guest has a great experience there. He talked about assume everybody is a somebody, <laughs> so somebody important. Uh, you know, assume everybody that walks in is a, is a critic and is going to be writing about your place because you know what? Actually, today, everybody is a critic when you think about it. Uh, between Yelp and um, Twitter and uh, Instagram and all the Facebook, uh, everybody's a critic. <laughs> so uh, you got to make sure everybody's going to have a good time. And, uh, well, that's why you're there, is it? after all, isn't it? He talked about aggressive listening, so you want to make sure you're you're really listening to what that person has to say and uh, use that information to, like I said, make sure the guest has a great experience. So anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up because uh, that was not the experience I had at this bar uh, when I just went in for a quick drink uh, to kill 40 minutes or so. Um, so, uh, yeah. So during San Antonio Cocktail Conference, I got a chance to meet so many great people. Uh, Derek Cortez contacted me when he heard I was coming down to San Antonio, and he told me about his bar, Jazz Texas. He's the head bartender there, and Jake Horney is the GM. Uh, Jake worked with Sasha Petrosky at Bohannon's in San Antonio. Hopefully you listened to last week's show and heard the story of uh, Sasha's role at... Uh, the restaurant Bohannon's and the bar there and uh, how Sasha founded the San Antonio Cocktail Conference. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you've listened to that. If not, we'll listen uh, after this. Derek and Jake and I had a nice talk. Uh, Unfortunately, the beginning of the recording was lost to the technology demons. But here we go. We were talking about hospitality, how important it is and how important it was to Sasha. Um, But a a lot of those, uh, that seriousness about the cocktail, you know, can be really traced back to milk and honey and, and, uh, you know, the rules, you take your hat off and all, you know, and and there certainly was a place for that. And and it was kind of needed at that time, right? Yeah, it sure was. You know, Sasha was uh, a gentleman and he knew that it it needed to work at certain places. So milk and honey in those kind of places and, you know, in the rise of the cocktail at that time. That's what it was. But he knew that there was other things outside of that where it wasn't just about the rules and it wasn't being so strict. And, you know, anytime you have alcohol involved, there's going to be people doing stupid things. And and it should be very positive energy when you go into a bar. I mean, bartenders, you know, should be lively and, and positive, but also be, you know, a gentleman at the same time. Um, and he actually had to enforce a lot of those rules so people would kind of get it. Um, and then then they would get it at other bars, too. You know what I mean? Um, so Dutch Kills, which he was affiliated with, 
that was probably my favorite bar because it wasn't so, I don't want to say, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There weren't as many rules, I guess, you know, a Dutch kid. Yeah, a little more casual. And you'd walk in there and it was still the same quality um, of cocktails and what you would expect from, from Sasha. But, you know, it was a little bit more laid back. And he knew that every bar and every establishment kind of had its own niche. And I, I still feel the same way, even though this place gets a little wild and you have like salsa night and people get wild. But still, um, we still act like gentlemen. Right. And that was a big thing that he also kind of pushed out there was if you see a girl that's uncomfortable, like you're going to approach the guy and, and ask him, you know, him to please, you know, step aside or make sure the situation's OK. Um, things like that. And that's what he wanted to kind of pass along as well. Um, so, yeah, at the time, you know, having the, the cocktails and milk and honey, that's that's what started it. But he knew it was going to it was going to go somewhere else eventually. So. Right. Right. Well, I mean. It's obvious that uh, Sasha had a huge impact on your life, huh? Yeah, you can t- t- you can say that definitely. <laughs> so, Derek, tell us uh, a little bit more about your history. You started working in um, nightclub bartending in nightclubs, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for a good let's see, thirty nine, uh, about <laughs> sixteen, seventeen years. All right. Um, initially started in, in uh, nightclubs, and um, it was just kind of a part time thing. I always had a full time job. Um, all the way till I was about 35 that I actually had a full-time job and just did uh, the bartending thing on the weekends. And, um, you know, as I got older, I thought, you know, I really had a love for, for bartending, but I knew that, um, my body's breaking down. I, I can't be in speed bars all the time, you know, yep. I had to figure out something else. Well, I mean, cocktail bar, uh, cocktail bartending is probably harder to be honest with you on your body. Uh, now I find, find that out now. Um, <laughs> a little too late. Yeah. But I loved the idea of, uh, I remember when I first, it was the uh, second SACC that I got involved in. Um, and it just kind of had a, brought a whole new light to my thought process as far as like cocktails and, and uh, the way things were changing. You know, I was so caught up in the club thing that I never even knew this whole thing. Other thing was evolving. And that was my first exposure to it. And I, I fell in love with it. So I just took it upon myself to start uh, learning and reading books on my own, really not having any kind of mentor, not really knowing how, to, how I was going to get involved in it. I remember several, several, several places I would go to and apply, and no one would ever call me back because they, they saw that whole speed bar thing on there, and you know, no one really wanted to give me a chance. But it's, I kept learning on my own, and finally someone gave me a shot. And um, I think once I got into a position where they saw that I was a hard worker and that I kind of had an idea of what was going on, um, you know, it just kind of evolved from that. And uh, just out of the blue, I got a phone call from Chris Ware, who I knew of, but never met him, you know, and knew that he was doing this amazing bar, Paramore, um, you know, and said, hey, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about you. Can we meet? And I met him before Paramore was even Paramore. It was just a floor on top of a building and uh, pretty much changed my direction and changed the way things were going for me. Uh, and met Jake and some other guys as well. At, at Paramore, right? Yeah. 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 A little bit before Paramore, but yeah. Okay. So that was a pretty high volume place, right? I haven't had a chance to get over there yet. It is. And I mean, it's, it's, a, it's about, what, eight, is it 8,000 square feet? I want to say. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, the majority of it is, is an outside patio, but I mean, it's, it's just a crazy volume. You know, you get about five, 350 to 500 people at a time. Um, so, you know, you get all types of people in there, not people that know a lot about cocktails um, and then some people that don't. So, you know, you're, you kind of have to, have a little speed as well, you know, um, which is perfect for me because, you know, I came, kind of came from that, that mentality that you need to be fast and then, you know, having the idea of, and I know how to build a cocktail and things like that as well. So 
uh, it kind of the evolution of it was kind of cool in my eyes. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at now. So, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about your menu? I love that that uh, the gin and tonic drink you sure. made was fab- fabulous. Thank you, thank you, appreciate that. So, yeah, um, I think that one of the things that I've kind of I've kind of kind starting to develop is you know just this you know just making drinks you know and then uh, I've got really good people to bounce ideas off of and, and you know and critique you know because I've got Jake and things like that so. I know there's times I've got some ideas and I'll bounce it off and be like, I don't know about that one, bro. You know, we'll try it and see. You know, try it and let me know. And we'll we'll taste it and see what it, see how it comes out. And uh, one of them was the Spanish GNT. Um, and you know, when you think of a Spanish GNT, you think of a wine glass and botanicals in it. Um, and the idea that behind ours is that um, it's Spanish G for gin and then T for T E A, a tea. So I wanted it to be herbaceous. I wanted it to have a lot of botanicals in it. And for some reason, I wanted it to be purple. <laughs> so um, in my head, you know. And the, the thing that I want, the first initial thing I started thinking about is jazz music, you know, and thinking about the different types of genres of jazz and the different types of um, how jazz, some jazz t- sounds like you would recognize as jazz, and then some you're like, Dad, I don't see how that's jazz. Right. But when you break the structure of it down, it it's really is jazz music. And that's kind of one of the concepts I had with the Spanish GNT is, you know, it, it has gin and it has tonic and it has botanicals, but it's not necessarily what you would think of as a Spanish GNT. Right. Um, you know, and it has a little uh, foam on top. Right. Well, the foam is, is where we the foam is where we have all the botanicals. Mm-hmm. So it's technically just gin and tonic, and then the foam has um, different botanicals: soy lecithin, grapeseed oil for the cream and body of it, and grapeseed oil, uh, grapefruit juice. Um, Thyme and juniper berries, and so and the, and the tea and the tea. Oh, the tea. That, two different teas, of course. So it's uh, like an Earl Grey tea, and then a um, something called butterfly pea tea, which is a blue petal. And so when you put the the Earl Grey and, and the blue petal together, it makes a purple color, which is exactly what I wanted. Um, so you know, I think that people when when they when they grab it when they drink it, um, it's probably not what they were thinking at first because they're thinking gin and tonic. But that's kind of the, the that is what the conversation that I was, was intended for, just like the jazz music, where you can say, okay, that's not jazz, or it is jazz. And technically, it is jazz, you know, because you look at the structure, it is. And that's the same thing with this drink. Is you look at the structure of it, and it, it really is a gin and tonic. It's just a different uh, gin and tonic different, differently. Yeah, I love how it, um, it evolves as you, as you drink it. And I think that's, that's an interesting trend that maybe we'll see a little more of yeah. uh, in the future. It, it changes as you, as you make your way through the drink, yeah. which is awesome. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, what, are, what are some of the other drinks you're, you're proud of on the menu? So basically the way we developed the menu, um, this is our seasonal menu that you got to see this, this time around. But my whole philosophy with, with, with cocktails is they don't have to be too crazy. Um, I like, I'm a very pre-prohibition kind of cocktail guy. I like cocktails from a base, you know, so I'll tell Derek, hey, let's take an old-fashioned, but let's do something different to it, and, and, but still make it an old-fashioned. So when you grab the cocktail, you know you're having an old-fashioned. Um, and same thing with, you know, any of your sours and, and Collins and things like that. So we did a, my favorite cocktail that we've done on, on the menu. Um, it's just a classic martini. However, we took some anise fennel and just threw it in to some gin and we were like, Hey, let's see what happens. And so we just did that. And then it turned out really, really well because one of my favorite cocktails was just a semi dry martini with an absinthe rinse and like a lemon peel. And I'll drink that all day. Um, so I was like, hey, how can I get the anise in there just in a different way? Threw some fennel in there, 
um, stir it around, poured it out, ounce of dry vermouth, uh, dash of orange bitters, almost like a Hoffman house. And then uh, we actually threw, I think we threw an olive in there, right? And the olive actually had a little bit of olive oil on it. We didn't realize that when we bought them, there was like one of those like pre-done olive kind of deals. And we threw it in there and the olive oil floated to the top. And I was like, oh man, we screwed it up. There's freaking olive oil in this drink. And I tried it and I was like, man, this is amazing. I was like, what did we just find out? I was like, man, this is not only a great Hoffman House martini just because we threw in some anise fennel. I'm getting everything that I wanted out of that. But the olive oil is adding this buttery kind of mouthfeel to it. And so then we were like, hey, let's take the anise fennel and throw in like a touch of olive oil. And we got that cocktail. Um, but all of our cocktails on the menu are derived from some kind of classic cocktail. And a lot of people don't know that. And then they get into the cocktail and like, hey, this is, this is great. And it's like, well, what do you normally drink? Well, I just normally drink a... Um, like a sour, like a lemon drop or something, you know, or something really kind of ridiculous. Or, you know, sometimes you get people like, I just drink daiquiris. Like, well, try this out, you know, and just, we we build a, upon it. And some of the hardest cocktails you can make is like a three-ingredient cocktail, especially these days, you know, but some of the best drinks in the world are just like a three-ingredient cocktail, if they're made right. Um, so none of our stuff is too over the top. All of it's, we start from a base and we'll build upon it. And if it gets too complicated, we're like, nope, we've gone over. Um, but I'll have these guys make a cocktail, and you know, we'll make it hundreds, thousand times, and just try it every different way we can, and and to get it where where we want to get it to. So that's kind of how we've been developing it. And I, I push these guys to get creative, but I don't let them step out of bounds. You know, I say, remember where you know, remember where we start. You know, you haven't gotten there yet, and uh, it's it's worked out really well. And I've done a few uh, cocktail competitions, and that was my mentality. And you go, you go into a competition, and you have somebody that's got this crazy gadget, and they're pumping stuff, and they got uh, all these chemicals and uh, <laughs> like liquid nitrogen, and they're doing all this stuff. And I'm over here, and I'm like, I got a four, co- I got a four ingredient cocktail. I just make it right, and and I'll I'll win, you know. And it's just like. But it took me forever to make that four ingredient cocktail. But I really, really tried to do it and getting the water content right and, you know, getting the coldness of the cocktail. And that's, I think people are, are looking a little bit too far when they're trying to find ingredients because they can't use the ingredients that are right in front of them any more creative than, uh, than they could. You know, they'll go find a crazy ingredient from Asia and be like, oh, well, this is why my cocktail is so good. It's like, no, you just found something that no one has tried. And that's fine, but don't try and say that it's, it's yours and, like, you you did it to some other degree that somebody hasn't done it already. It's like, why don't you just make me a daiquiri? You know, and well, uh, and then he comes out and it's like the worst drink ever. And that's, I mean, that's been kind of, everyone has the same mentality, you know, and uh, at least I do. When I go to a bar that I had I don't know about and they claim to make really, really good cocktails, and especially if the, the bartender is cocky, hey, can you make me a, a traditional daiquiri? You know, and see how it comes out. And you, that's when you really kind of judge where they're coming from. Yeah. But. I've, I've heard people say it's like uh, asking a bartender to make a daiquiri, sort of like a chef will ask a new hire to make an omelet, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Exactly right. And a lot of times they can't. And it's just like you need to go back and, and study your, like, don't take algebra before you take, you know, remedial math class or whatever. It's like, come on, you got got to build on it. So. Sa- Sasha talked in his book uh, a little differently about the water contents of a drink, and, and uh, in the book he, st- he says how uh, 
we should be thinking of it more as ABV rather than a percentage of water, which is, uh, I had a little hard time wrapping my head around it. I mean, not that it's a difficult concept, but um, it, it's, it's a different way than most people talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously to make it a cocktail, it's got to it's have some degree of water, but it is about the ABV. So we would play around with different proof liquors and how that would work. And it is about trying to get the alcohol down to mix into the other ingredients and taste correct. Um, because, I mean, I was an advocate, and I still am, of a hot cocktail. And he always kind of pushed me on that. And I was like, well, you know that I, I like my cocktails a little bit hotter than others. And he liked, he had, his palate was so refined that he could just tell when a cocktail was had the right ABV that would suit most people. Like, I mean, he just knew a good cocktail from others. And same degree, we all started to learn that. I just, I prefer mine with a little bit less water. Um, still cold, you know, and that's the hardest part of bartending. If you can get a cocktail that, you know, you still get it cold, but really adjusting, like you said, the ABV. And to some degree, that is how much water you add into it. Um, but what I feel like he was trying to express in the book is no, the bartender knowing the ABV per water capita in the cocktail. Because it's going to be different, you know. If you if you, we'll, we'll just use da daiquiri as a reference again. I mean, if you use uh, a a rum that has five more proof over, that's going to affect the ice a little bit differently. Now that's going to be very minute, but sometimes if you use an overproof rum and you shake it just the same way like you would a, a hundred proof or eighty proof uh, rum, of course it's going to be different. And at that point, you are diluting the ABV down to a certain degree. So any hotter cocktail or any hotter spirit, mind you, higher proof you are going to need more water to dilute that ABV to make a better tasting cocktail. Now, it's the trick is how do you do it with, you know, measuring out then your simple syrup and lime juice and still getting an, an in-range cocktail um, and it being amazingly cold and, you know, and laughing at you and a cold glass, you know, and then everything from there. But I, I believe that's what he was trying to express. And every time we talked about it, it's, it's amazingly hard. And bartenders that really understand that and they practice it, and that's the biggest thing. A lot of times guys can understand this and, and read a book, but w when, when you put it in practice, do you really think about it when you're doing it? And that was another thing that he used to just push on us. You know, you practice what you preach, right. you know? And this is a, I mean, I'm famous saying that he would always tell everybody and everyone kind of has picked up on it but it's a saying that he just like he just told me one day you know you're an asshole if you grab the the glass that's not cold you need to reach for the, gla the glass that's cold in you know the back of the freezer um don't just go for the, the for the front one you know and it's that attention to detail every time but you have to practice it every single time that's the last thing that maddie g told me before he went back to new york did he really he looked at me and he pointed at me and said always grab the coldest glass yeah <laughs> and that's what he told me Oh, every ever since he told me that, that's the thing. I, every time I reach in a cooler, that's the first thing I think about. When I'm saying saying that that every time, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, it's always been my my idea, but uh, anyway. But you know, to hear someone just like directly point at you and tell you that, you know, to know that where it came from, it, it's a uh, very meaningful. One thing that we do is it's an order of operations, and all of that is listed in our order of operations. It's you know basically what you said, and it's everything that we've learned up until then. You know, you start like this and you end like this. And if you do that, you can make totally amazing rounds of cocktails and do that all night over and over. And one really cool thing that we, that kind of developed here um, was Speedcraft because we actually had to get really fast at making these cocktails. And Sasha was just amazed at how well we were producing cocktails and while doing it so quickly. And we actually started developing at Bohannon's because 
the show was right across the street by the Majestic, Majestic Theater, and it was such a larger venue than any other place Sasha had ever done that he started seeing little tips that we were doing just to to make ourselves faster. And he used to come down and say, man, you guys are the fastest bartenders that I've seen that still put out some of the best cocktails in the world. And But it is, and it takes a long time to get there. And when you start and you do it the wrong way, I mean, man, I can only imagine for some people that, I mean, myself, if I didn't have Sasha, what I would be, I mean, I just, I don't know. Probably wouldn't be bartending, to be honest. You know, so what are some of those tricks that you use to, to make everything go faster for you? You know, it all depends. Um, when I get behind the bar, it's there's a flow, and to me, it's a rhythm, and uh, I call it rocking the boat. It's just back and forth, and it's going in between. And um, there's certain things that you start to to get on, and there was things that I don't even I didn't even realize, and then people would see me bartending and be like, "Whoa, what what are you doing?" I'm like, "I don't know." You know, that's I don't know, um, but it's more like. Um, the movement thing, yeah. Once you get comfortable behind a bar, especially in the in the setting that you're in, it's it's where you're you're putting your shaker tin every time and how you're cracking it and how your strainer's going down and you know little things that you can do to really just get fast but be accurate. And a lot of people get fast and they get flustered and they get in the weeds. It's you. Once again, you have to build up on that, and so you start off slow and then you go up. But you know, it's closing the uh, the freezer door with your elbow and having certain techniques for cocktails that just help you speed along. And the more that you, you get into that rhythm and you start building rounds of cocktails, you find ways to, I don't want to say cut corners, but to, to speed up the process. And you never stop learning stuff like that. You know, how fast can you grab your, your straw? Or maybe the straw goes first in this cocktail before this other one, and you start picking up on that stuff. And before you know it, you take a few minutes off your ticket time. And it's awesome. You know, but we really were pressured to do that because we got so damn busy and you know luckily Sasha came in and helped us set up the bar the right way the first time we built the bar it wasn't set up the right way sorry Don um but when when Sasha came back he said you know what we can fix this to some degree and we made it work um but it it should be kind of like the way I, I set up the bar here in my eyes you know it's this is what you have this is you know what you work with and every bar is going to be a little bit different but um, yeah, it's about getting comfortable behind the bar and, and then going from there. Yeah, I think one of the things that we do here is, and, and, and a lot of it was what we did at Paramore as well, but um, we've kind of developed a little bit more is, you know, like our, our main show is at 8.30, so whoever's here before that is pretty much gone by 8. So then you've got a whole rush of new people in, and you're talking about like a, the other day we had a 35 top and a 39 top that all came at the same time, hmm. and you've got this ticket that comes in and, you know, you've got 35 drinks all at one time. So what do you do? Um, and I think that we don't have that island, island mentality. It's kind of like if someone approaches a bar and say, for example, Andy takes their order, he starts to make their drink. While he's making their drink, I approach them and say, okay, while Andy's making your drink, can I go ahead and start your tab? So most bartenders, they think like, okay, I'll, I'll make their drinks, then I have to go back, grab their tab, start their tab, hand it back to them, then grab their drinks and give it to them. Well, it's kind of, it's not like that. We, you know, while he's making the drinks, I'm, making, I'm doing the, the tab for him, and then I come back, I give him the tab, and I'm, I'm looking at what he's, the round he's building, and I'll see what garnishes he needs, and then I'll start cutting them out for him and handing them to him or grabbing them from him. If it needs foam, I'll foam it for him, and I'll garnish it for him. And it's kind of like a mise en place kind of a deal where there's kind of almost like a, an, an exporter, if you will, yeah. kind of like the kitchen, mm-hmm. where you know, I'm the kind of like the person that kind of sees the drink as it's being built and then kind of finish it off before it goes out to the table. And so it's kind of one of those things where we all just kind of, there's no island mentality where this is my side of the bar, this is your side of the bar. It's fill up you know fill a hole and just kind of work until you know you got that area done you know mm-hmm. if there's two of us working on drinks one goes around the bar and t- 
takes orders from people that are just standing around the wall. I mean, because it does get to that point where the whole wall, back wall, is just full of people. So, you know, I think that that's a different mentality that we have here than some other places. Uh, and I think that's kind of the hospitality part of it is, you know, we're just kind of, we're going to people and not having people come to us. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that takes time off of you guys. Absolutely. You know? and a lot of yeah. people don't, don't realize that. That It's just, you know, the better the, the whole bar works together as a team right. and a unit and moves like that, I mean... At that point, you can pack this whole place out. And these, and I've seen it done. I mean, I've seen 100 people walk in here for a buyout. And these guys had a drink in their hand. And I watch every cocktail that comes out, right? Because I'm stickler and, like, I need to make sure it's perfect. And uh, in, like, 10 or 15 minutes, everybody, I look around, and everybody has a drink in their hand. And I'm just like, man, these guys are, like, sweating, you know? I mean, they were moving. But, yeah, I mean, I can't be more proud of these guys. And you know what? But I told them it hasn't stopped. We haven't even really begun training. We started on it a little bit, but you know my mentality is that you know training never stops, and we're we're putting a lot into into course, and we're I told them right when they think they're comfortable, I'm gonna come back and hit them, and we're gonna make you know we're gonna sit here and make 50 rounds of cocktails. I'm gonna, we're, we have some cool ideas actually coming up, so. That's great. Well, man, this is a beautiful place, and uh, you guys have been so uh, hospitable and, and welcoming in, and I really appreciate it. And it's great to meet you guys. Definitely. Yeah. Well, a big thank you again to Jake and Derek for talking to me and taking such good care of me while I was down there. I really appreciate it, guys. Such a pleasure to meet you. And, uh, well, that's, that's pretty much a full show. We'll save the interview with Tom Richter for another time. Probably next week we'll talk to Tom and Megan Dorman. So, uh, hey, stay tuned to the very end of the podcast for our toast. We do a toast every week at the end of the podcast. But first, I'll remind you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. For all things Bartender Journey, go on over to bartenderjourney.net. You can find the contact page there. So, uh, hey, feel free to get in touch for any reason at all. Love to hear from you. And uh, if you're not subscribed, please do so. And if you need any help doing that, get go over to bartenderjourney.net slash subscribe. And uh, there's always postings that go along with each show. The, the recipes and such will be posted up along with the show. All right, our toast. And it's from the Leonardo DiCaprio uh, character in Titanic. He says, to making it count. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. When the job's all finished or it's finished, you, you deserve a bottle of that golden Beautiful, golden, beautiful. Hey, beautiful beer is 14K and 14K say.